Welcome to the pod, everyone. A shout out to SGS. Hey, Rusty, why are we uh, partnering with SGS? Uh, uh, some, some, some good people there. Pretty excited about their sports coaching courses and sports courses. Keen to make them industry ready so when people leave, they're able to go and transfer it to any kind of industries, coaching, teaching, being an analyst, business, whatever it might be. So I think, uh, yeah, I think it's pretty exciting times, really. So what's so special about their degree courses that others won't be doing? I think it'll be lots of uh, real good partnerships, uh, opportunities for people to, to get into different contexts and learn and practice. It'll be feel very applied. People will be stretched and supported and will leave you know, ready to just go and thrive in the uh, big old world out there. SGS College is the home of Bristol's higher education sports programmes. The programmes are designed to develop unique, innovative and creative sports practitioners ready for industry. Do you want to be a coach or teacher of the future? Start your journey here at SGS College and become more than just a graduate. Visit sgscol.ac.uk to apply now. Uh, Doug Lemov, welcome back to the pod. Uh, How are you? You well? I'm doing. I'm doing great. It's good to be back. Nice, and uh, and I'm glad we both had some mutual kind of sharing of what happens when our wives and family go away. And I'm <laughs> currently like lost. Like honestly, you seem like you're doing okay. Given what <laughs> happens to me, you seem like... <laughs> I appreciate the affirmation. However, maybe I maybe you're just putting a brave face on it. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm definitely missing them more than I thought I would. So uh, if if any of them are listening, um, yeah, definitely missing them. Honestly, I was, saying, I was saying before we got on, my wife and kids, my wife and kids go away, and I think I'm going to have the most productive week in the history of the world, and I utterly fall apart. I miss <laughs> them so much. So, yeah, it's tough. It's weird. Um, hey, look, thanks for jumping back on. And uh, as I said, yeah. I, I'm, I've, I've like really enjoyed the book and recommend lots of people. And it, um, it seems like it's got some some people curious and stimulated them in lots of different environments, which is like testimony to you uh, I know I said we're writing a book and you are like you're the gold standard at the moment so we're trying to we're trying to get past that um so I think what we were going to do today is play out this fictitious you know Doug, Doug and Rusty are in charge let's go Doug and Rusty are in charge of a, a kid's team for like three months like what are we going to do and, I, and of right. course like I've coached and I don't understand the stuff you understand you haven't coached like I've coached and Perhaps would be a question. I haven't, haven't coached, haven't really coached, I mean, at anywhere near your level. So um, we know I'll be getting a lot wrong here. But yeah, can so it be, a, it's going to be like a fusion of a rugby team and a football team, right? We're going to, yeah, yeah. we're not even clear what sport they're playing. It's going to be a combination of the two. Yeah. And I think, and I guess my challenge is also to go, well, what if this was performance as well? Because clearly, mm. like, it might, it might be different if we were both going to lose our jobs at the weekend if we didn't. Right. So, uh, well, let's what, age, what age group are we thinking? Or is that can that maybe that can move around too? I don't should, know. We go, um, should we go 15 year old boys? So let's get a bit of teenage brain in there. Um, okay. let's, um, I mean, what sport do you want to coach if you've got this just giving you a job? So uh, let's call it football and be vague about whether it's rugby or or yeah, football, football, it's an invasion sport, right? Um, I mean, what's the and, and it's three months. Um, and the fixtures on a weekend, which is pretty typical over here. So, and I guess over there that there'll be some training in the week. Let's go, let's go two training sessions a week, which would be quite a lot for some people. Sometimes okay. it's just the one. Um, 
yeah, let's like, what are you curious about? What, what's the first stuff you're kind of thinking about? Well, I was thinking about what that's the parameters that you laid out, which are actually, I think, tricky, which is it's three months, which isn't a ton of time. And there are games every weekend. And if I could have one thing, it would be a period of time before there are games. So can so, I give you a preseason? Yeah, let's take it. Let's let's put a preseason in there. <laughs> and the <laughs> other thing is I'm thinking is with two days a week, which I think is realistic, but also not a not a ton. I'm going to really want to think about using the games as teaching opportunities. Um, and I think, and so maybe that's something we can, you know, yeah. even more than, even more than I might, or, you know, if we were practicing three, if we we're training three or four times a week, I might, I mean, should, games should always be learning, learning opportunities, but maybe learning opportunity is slightly different from teaching opportunity. So, so and just to clarify, if we were in a performance environment and we were going to, lose our jobs after three weeks, we might not be saying that we're taking, you know, we might be thinking about some other stuff in the week that means that we're learning a little bit less at the weekend, do you think? Or would it still be the same in your head? Well, I think it's, you know, it's a big challenge. I mean, I think ideally, like my inclination as an educator is to think about like, let's design it so that players learn the most they possibly can. Um, which is a long-term horizon, but if you need short-term results and you've got to have some, you know, some level of wins, which I think is reality, you know, if you lost every game, players learned a ton. Ideally, parents would be really aligned with that. And they'd be like, I don't care if I, my kid won or lost because they're going to be a great player when they're U18. But the fact is that some kids would probably go to other teams and be like, those guys have no idea what they're doing. So, um, yeah. Rusty and Doug don't know what they're doing. Right. Well, as long as you're the head coach. <laughs> and that's that, means, that means I have a chance of, of you know, surviving if the thing <laughs> So, so it already like a couple of considerations for me. So, I mean, you would clearly we would have to like tell the parents like about some of this stuff. And, and then also my question that I was thinking about at the start was like, would you like unwrap this myth of learning? So I often yeah. think we're, we're teaching or we're coaching and, and maybe there's some stuff that if the players understood it, you know, a little bit like that. Perhaps because yeah. another question I had was like, would you get the players to coach each other at any point? How would the peer-to-peer -peer fit in? So yeah. all of that stuff, like at the start, are parents involved? And then are we yeah. in this myth of learning to the kids or are we keeping it secret? Okay, these are great questions. Uh, Thank you. And the answer is, I think, yes to at least two of them, which is I really believe that aligning parents to, the, to your teaching goals is, is hugely important. And rarely done, at least from the you know clubs that I see in this country, there are a few that do it really well. Because um, as a, you know, like parents are the people who have the who should have the greatest alignment with the team in terms of if my goal is to my goal is to develop your your son, so he is he's U15 now. My goal is to make him the best player possible two three years from now. Parents should be all, all about that. I much prefer you know I want you to it should be about my son. But they're also sometimes the least likely people to support that, right? As soon as you start, you know, they're like, because they, at least, you know, because they don't always know what you're trying to accomplish. They shout, you know, they want wins and they shout vociferously for wins and they evaluate the team based on wins. And so I, I think helping parents to understand what the project is and what it would look like if it was going well, which is, you know, at least let's say for a moment, we're talking about a football team. And I, I tell parents, look, we're going to build out of the back because it means that your sons get to play on the ball a lot in a much broader variety of settings. And they get confident and, and I can guarantee you that we will give up a goal and we will lose a game 
because someone makes a bad mistake. And it's really important that you understand that that's a win in the long run for your sons. And so one, please say, that's okay. We'll get them right. As opposed to, you know, get that kid out of there, (laughs) you know, but to understand the project and here are things, here are things to look for and here are things to cheer and like, here are things to like reinforce, right. We're trying to connect strings of passes and play in possession. So when you see us doing that, you know, like say, great job, keeping the ball great, you know, or, or, um, or when you reinforce with your son, say, I love the, you know, you had a great pass when you, I saw you play forward and break and break lines and get into space. If, you know, if they understand the, goals of what we're trying to teach them, they can reinforce it both during the game and after the game. And I think it's hugely important because out of their best intentions, they often reinforce things that are either not optimally productive or sometimes can be counterproductive. Yeah. yeah. And are we telling the kids about learning? Are we kind yeah. Of, yeah. Thanks for bringing that up. Stuff? Yeah. I, I think, yeah. I mean, I, I, maybe I think that um, is, you know, does awareness of how learning happened potentially help the learner to be more successful? Yes. I think some of the things that I would want to tell players about are certainly about perception and the role of eyes and decision-making, the importance of decision-making and the role of your eyes and decision-making is pretty uncharted Terry, but just having them be attentive to the idea of like, it's really important what you look at, be aware of what you look at, think of, you know, think of what you look at, understand there's a connection between what you do with your eyes and how you make decisions. And maybe then, and maybe talking a little bit about repetition and how it's going to work. And we're going to come back to things and you can't expect to master things once and you will start to forget. And, you know, I think the more that you, I do think the more that you understand about learning, the more likely you are to participate and to understand and therefore not be a frustrated participant when we do things in a certain way. Yeah. I think there are, I think there are also like deals you make with players, which is like, I'm going to pause you and I'm going to talk to you about things that will make you a better player. I'm going to try and, talk as fast as I can and get you to try something so you can be better. And if you're really attentive, I can be fast and I won't have to, we won't have to spend time, you know, talking and talking and talking while you're playing. You can get back to playing and your goal should be to try to use that feedback as quickly as you can. And then we won't have to stop and have the conversation again. Right. So you have a role also like, I know that you want to play and I'll do my best, but it's a bargain between us also. Yeah. And are we, are we doing that at the start? We're probably like agreeing and contracting some stuff around what they can expect from us and perhaps what either we can expect from them or what they can expect from them. That, that kind of stuff's pretty important, I would imagine. Yeah, it's interesting when you do it. I think that's a great question. I prob- what would you, how would you answer the question? <clears throat> I'm just curious. Is like, again, like I think it's helpful to, um, for them to understand like, how, how coaching how I'm going to be as a coach. Like, so it's not like a surprise necessarily. And they're not thinking, well, it's a bit weird that, you know, Rusty's doing this and actually we haven't had a huddle yet or whatever it might be. Actually he's freezing stuff and I'm not used to that. And then I think it's helpful again, like just around, yeah, like how are you going to be with each other? Because also teenage boys, I'm thinking like there's some stuff that can get in the way of learning. That's like, yeah. How people react just to oh, like who who do we want to be when we struggle when we when we give up a bad when we give up a try when we shouldn't yeah how do we want to treat each other who do we want to be right yeah. and what does that what does that mean we should do that's and what should we sound like putting what I was talking about what's that that's a much better way of putting what I was trying to talk about I mean uh, I, I think our, we're talking about the same thing I think this is really great I think I would so it seems like there are two categories of things here one is like here's how I'm, here's, here's what I'm going to be trying to do. One is actually there are three categories. One is um, what, 
what are the team rules and expectations around what it means to participate in this training session? So maybe I would start with like, let me explain to you. Uh, you've probably seen the rollout speech that James Beeson does in the book, but like in training on the cold call, you here's what it means to participate in training on the mental side of training. Here's how it's going to work. Maybe I do that really quickly the first day. Then at the end of the first session, I say like, let me talk to you about some of the things that I did today when I was coaching or what I was trying to do. So you can be aware of them. So you know how to respond and you know how I'm trying to help you grow and develop in this stuff. But I almost like the fact that they would like experienced it first. And then you tell them, here's what I was trying to do. And I'll be doing this every day. Would you? And then I, then I think there's a third category thing, which are like cultural things, which I almost think we like space that out in, in the course of the team, which is like, um, you know, it's going to be a tough game. I think, you know, I believe that if we play well, we can win, but we may be down at some point. So let's talk about, who we want to be when we're down and when we're losing and when we're not playing our best and how we can, our goal should be to build each other up so that we bring out the best in each other. What does that mean as a team? I just think like that's a, you know, people talk about the intangibles of, of leadership guys, you know, like Owen Farrell, you know, like I think that, I think there are a lot of things that guys like that do that we can socialize other players to do just by having them be intentional and think about it and have conversations about it. Yeah, maybe within each session we could have like some people whose mission it is to while they're and 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 this might not be easy done. It might be injured players who can actually observe coaches and go, look, this is what I noticed, and actually start to get them to understand like the stuff that's hopefully helping the players. I've written down some stuff already. Like uh, I've written down like so what's the role of like where does confidence sit and affirmations you know you spoke about like perhaps the parents noticing some stuff done well and like you, you mentioned the word confidence so that's my first thing I'm curious about in in our team I love that I've got this imaginary team in my, yeah. I mean what's the relevance of that to learning yeah it's really important um it's interesting when you said confidence I was thinking about something that Jesse Marsh told me he's the um He's an American football coach who uh, uh, coaches in, you know, I think he's probably the best American soccer football coach. And I was talking to him about what he does before matches. And he said, I just want players to review and do successfully what I want them to do in the game. So they're thinking about it. So they feel confident about it. And they've, they've done it repeatedly. So they feel really good about it. Cause I think there are lots of times when our goals in, in training are to, challenge players and put them right at the limits of their right at the limits of challenge right a great like Wayne Smith says a great training session should be harder than the game but the warm-up right before the game I think is different right there there my goal is to make you confident and feel how much you know and so one I think it probably means like being careful about how much new information I I install at a time at a time so you feel confident about it and then making sure that like game day is a lot about just reminding you how much you've learned and how much progress you've made. Uh, so you feel ready, psychologically ready to walk on the field. I don't know if that may, I, I, I'm guessing here, but no, no, what, no. how would you answer the question? Well, it, it, James Bell gave me a, a definition around confidence that I quite enjoyed, which is like, it's a combination of and quite a high amount of positive mastery experiences. Mm -hmm. And then it's some peer to peer stuff. So actually yeah. some stuff around, you know, do I belong? How are people going to react if this doesn't go so well? Yeah. Um, 
and I've already mentioned this on two podcasts and like, I really like, there's a, I spoke to a psychologist the other day who's at uh, Wasps and he spoke about Jacob and Marga and Jacob had this kick to the corner at the weekend that was really brave. Like, yeah. they've done a bit of work around his super strength and wiggle room. And actually, if you miss that, Jacob, then no one's stressed. Like, no one's going to freak out. It's like, we know it's your super strength. We want you to go for it. So I think that kind of, I think that ties in a bit with, like, how am I going to be judged if this doesn't work out almost? So, yeah, that's probably how I think about it. And, of course, we're always trying to, like, add on to what we know. So we're trying to extend this range of, positive master experiences so they are hope and hopefully things that'll happen in the game um but also yeah, I can, I, yeah two things maybe i want to throw in there because i think that's brilliant i've just been reading eddie jones's biography and he talks about how much how many minutes of the game are spent not only off the ball but with the ball out of play and how important he thinks those moments are psychologically team to team like how we talk to each other after um we we give up a penalty, you know, or the ball, you know, uh, it's right before a line out. Uh, and that's sort of like build, the notion of like building each other up and remind like focusing people on on the future, forget about forget about what just what just happened and reminding them like you know of our belief in them and their capacity. Like I think that sort of team to team talk is important. And I think you can practice that, right? Like, um, but then I also think like responding versus reacting as a coach, especially like one of the things that I think erodes player confidence is player makes a mistake and the coach's very first reaction is to like shout about the mistake, which is often like what we want, what we want to do there is to exonerate ourselves. Oh, don't give that ball away, Kevin, right? Which is, um, it's useless. What it really is kind of doing is a way of saying like, I taught him better publicly i'm saying i say it to the kids on the bench but if you think the kids on the bench don't think that they that you're gonna that they don't know you're gonna say the same thing about them when they're on the field and so just having the discretion to like let mistakes happen unnarrated <laughs> or to say you know like does it really help to tell a kid that he made a mistake in the moment when he made a mistake and probably knows he made a mistake probably not Probably not. Man, I'm going in so many directions now. This is good. And there's no order to our week, which I like. So just you suddenly, I mean, clearly ball out of players in, our, in, in rugby is over 50%, less in football. But I agree with you. I think it's like, I think we assume players will have the skills to do what you described there to either go, look, let's get back in the moment. Let's forget about what happened. Or actually, what are we going to do next? Like they're giving us this problem. What's the solution? And so those skills, you know, again, like, how are we coaching those ball-out-of-play moments, be it a huddle, be it this? Are we videoing it? It suddenly got me thinking about where does video fit into our week? I've got loads of other stuff as well. But I'm assuming that if it's over 50% of the game, then certainly in rugby then, and definitely in American football, then we're going to have to, like, coach this part of the game as well which is probably a blind spot. Most people don't coach it, which is kind of what makes it such a huge competitive advantage. A coach uh, shared with me on Twitter a phrase that I now love, um, which is everything that is expected must be defined, which is like, if I want positive chatter, we should, it doesn't mean I have to define it, but as a team, we should define what does it mean to have positive chatter or like to, to build each other up? Like, and so then we talk about that as a team and maybe we make a list of those things 
And then I can practice it and I can say, great balls. out. <laughs> like, let me hear your positive chatter. Let me hear you building each other up when you're, when the ball's out of play in training or at a, at a water break, like we're taking physical rest, but we can be mentally engaged and they can say water break two minutes, make sure you're talking to each other up, go, or, you know, something like that. That I think the key is, right. If I know that I want to expect it, then we have to have to define it. And that can be a collective definition done by the team. Um, it was it was on my list already, but yeah, where does our dictionary fit in? So, as coaches, yeah. are, are me and you like agreeing this dictionary? Are we doing it with the players? Because um, again, like I was somewhere the other day, and someone used a word that's a really common word in sport, and it's transition. And yeah. I said, I, I was interested because I looked at the players and I could see I didn't quite understand what that word meant in that context, and so I asked a couple of the coaches, said, oh, "What do you think that, that coach meant?" and and I got three different answers. And um, yeah, and, and so, you know. And I'm so glad you brought this up because I think it's like, it's one of the biggest areas of value. I was at my daughter's football tournament a couple of weeks ago and uh, wide back was way too wide. And so the coach is yelling, stay connected, stay connected. I, I'm 100% sure that she had no idea what that meant. <laughs> like, it, like tactically that like she knew she was doing something wrong, but because he hadn't, because a coach has to define the things that you want to say to players so they understand what they mean. I honestly think that some percentage, well above 50% of the technical terms that we use with players, they have no idea what we mean by them. So I think like starting with a vocabulary list that we agree on so that we're consistent in our terminology and player and we help players done this. I think this is a great place for a video, right? When we talk about playing between the lines, here are three examples of players doing it. When we talk about creating space away from the ball, this is what we're talking about. When we talk about quick ball, here's what it looks like when Scotland plays quick ball. What do you notice, right? This is what, when I say, when I say quick ball, this is what, this is what I mean, right? That players having not only a conceptual definition, but like a, a model of it in their heads. I think it's hugely important. We have a lot of meetings, but I think we could do this without meetings, which is we could say, we could send players three little video clips of a concept on their phones say, we're going to be working on this at training. Here are three examples. I want you to watch them and send me one piece of feedback and a text about something you notice about each of these three videos. And then like, then we're ready to go with the mental model. You've and added, I say, we'll be using this word for this every day. You've added another, another box to my uh, really messy picture, but like, I'm assuming then we're going to be, we're going to, we're going to prime some people around some stuff perhaps to get them, to draw their attention to some things that we'll either be talking about or doing in advance of doing it so that we probably, you know, maybe we don't have time not to do that. Sessions. Uh, the phrase that I just want to pull out from what you said is so that they pay attention, right? You, you learn what you pay attention to. And so two players could have very different experiences of, you know, um, Am I trying to explain something? If they know that it's important to me and it's what we're going to be talking about and they know the phrase that I'm going to use and so they instantly attend to it and they're like, oh, that's the, that's the thing that I'm supposed to be learning today. I just think that they will be more productive. Nice. I've still got two more things I wanted to talk about that have come up so, so far. Actually, it's three, but one was like you spoke about like planning for stuff like in advance. So like, and I really like uh, Gary Klein's stuff. I'm a Gary Klein like fan. Um, around pre-morteming stuff. So mm. I also assume that we will pre-mortem like sessions as coaches. And, and I guess I'm curious as to what that would look like. And then we'll, we'll probably pre-mortem matches and 
<laughs> we will do that just me and you, or do you think there'll be some players involved in that? All the players, some of the players, like mm. how do you how do you see that happening? And by pre-mortem, I think like I mean, like I think we know some stuff's gonna happen. So it's not gonna be that surprising. Of course, there'll be some stuff that we might not expect happen that happened, but <clears throat> as as best as possible, we in advance we we have some agreement around what we might do if that does happen. Yeah, I think that's one of my favorite and most important preparation tools is sort of, I sometimes call it anticipating error, which is like, what's likely to go wrong and how will I react if I go wrong? But I, I actually really like the phrase pre-mortem because it just sort of, it presumes that things will go wrong, which I think just, if I do that intellectual exercise, in addition to being more prepared for it tactically, I'm, I'm more prepared for it psychologically, right? I'm not, yeah. if, if my assumption before the game is like, look, we're going to go out there and we're going to get some stuff wrong. What are we going to get wrong and how will we react to it? Then I don't get mad. I'm not, I think I'm just less likely to get mad <laughs> and blame players when there's a mistake and just and move right away to, to productivity. Um, I think your question about, so who's the we in that room, I think is fascinating. And I would love to hear what you say about it. I think it depends um, and, and I agree with you. So the pre-mortem, like listening to Gary Klein talk about it, made me think the same as you, like it prepared me psychologically. Like they're teenage boys. There's going to be some testosterone. They're going to get quite aggravated. They're not going to always stay in the moment. I know that's going to happen. Like yeah. that's like, that's biology. Um, what do I think? Yeah, I think it would vary. So I think sometimes it would be everyone. Sometimes it might be a couple of players because we actually want to, raise their awareness of other players. So we might go, look, let's bring in three or four and actually let's pre-mortem the session. How do you think you can help your teammates when that happens? Uh, it might be like, let's pre-mortem and do you want to go and pre-mortem with the players? It might be we do it with everyone so everyone's aware. And I guess, look, we have options as coaches, don't we? And we will we'll kind of think about what would be the best way to do that. I think that's what I'm thinking. Hey, will you tell everyone what you're up to at Core 37? Hi, Fletch. We're a teamwear brand based in the Northeast and we're the sister company of Oddballs. We've got the largest sports sublimation factory in the UK and we've produced for the biggest brands in Europe over the past seven years. But with Core 37, our in-house brand, you can now access those prices direct to the customer. Why would people use Core 37? Uh, if I was to pick three, Fletch, it would be our lead time of three to four weeks our price, which is lower than anybody else in the industry, and the fact that we're made here in the UK. What's the stuff you're most proud of with Core 37? Oh, there's loads of stuff, but the, the key one for me would be working for a company that, that genuinely believes in its own mission statement, which is to produce performance sportswear at an affordable price. And then underpinning that is the people. Everybody who works here is involved in grassroots sport in some way. And so we genuinely care about what we're doing here. Fletch, why do you want to partner with Core 37? Uh, apart from the fact you're a Geordie, uh, great people, uh, lots of people involved in sport, really affordable and top quality. Thanks for joining us, Wilkie. Anyone who wants to find out more can go and have a play on their website at core-37.com or they can reach out directly to tom at core-37.com. Yeah, and there may be, I think it's fascinating. And one thing I was, I was thinking about, which is, even if it's a really short conversation, if I have it with the whole team before the match, I think one of the, you know, we were talking about sort of the um, competitive advantage of coaching balls out of play, 
right? Which is like most people don't coach it, but it's a big part of the, of the game. The other big part of the game from a learning perspective is what are players who are out of the game looking at and learning, <laughs> right? A lot of their time is, is spent in what I describe as unproductive watching, which is, you know, if my numbers, if my number six is on, my potential number six is on the bench is watching my number six very carefully or watching the relationship between the number six and the center backs very carefully and is looking for specific things and knows that like my job is to understand whether the team is organized right now. And maybe even in the middle of the match, I'd like, instead of shouting something to the players on the field, I, I like tell my number six to come over and stand next to me and say, what do you tell me what you're seeing right now? What are you observing about what the, about, you know, Carlos is out there right now. What are you noticing about what he's doing? What's, what's working? What's not. I think there's a lot of value to help players learn and learn more when they're out of play. And, but I just think that has to be part of the culture. I've just, Oh, again, like watching my, watching coaches at my daughter's football tournament a couple weekends ago and coaches are sort of narrating things into the ether about the game out, you know, very, very loud, but to no one. Past. No one's really listening. They're not helping anyone to be much more productive to just take a couple of kids and have them stand by you and like, say, here's, here's what I'm watching right now. What do you see? You know, if you were out there, what would you, you know, how would you react to this? Right. They're pressing really high against us. Well, how would you react if you're out when you're out there, either when you're out there, here's what I want you to do. Notice this, or what would you do? Right. Like that would actually, it might, I think it's probably an illusion that what I'm saying out loud would probably is going to affect the outcome of the game anyway, but that's really a long-term decision, which is instead of worrying about this game, I'm worrying about, I'm thinking about the long-term learning of my, my players. And, and if our job was on the line, we'd just be shouting and screaming and telling people what to do. Save my job. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, so I wrote a few things down there and I had just some ideas about how to maybe bring this stuff to life. And I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm curious about two aspects of this. One is like, I love having a whiteboard next to a pitch. I think it allows people yeah. to kind of think slow and to maybe record some information that, that can kind of track some stuff either for players or coaches. And so what I thought was, wouldn't it be interesting if we pre-mortem the session, wrote it down and then almost like ticked it off when it happened and we, and we dealt with it. Yeah. And the second thing I thought about was like, be great if players were doing like, the play, like just to like player players, watching it. Players, the players on the sideline were like, yeah, but how are we doing? I'm like, yeah. Same. I would. I think it would be helpful from the people on the bench, and also like I, I, I played around with because because in hockey your players come on and off. Like almost saying to players, like you only come on when you've noticed something you're going to go and change in the game. Like That's so interesting. Actual thing. And, and I'm not being harsh, but like we could have conversations with them. The next one I was thinking about with your number six is like a really good conversation is like. Just tell me what you think's about to happen. So why yeah. don't you try and play the game three seconds in the future? So where are the opposition going to go? What's going to happen? Who's going to get the, you know? So we start, uh, and I just think those are really fascinating conversations. So two things. One is, how would you use a whiteboard? Second thing is, how are me and you going to be behaving on the side of the pitch? Given that our jobs are not on the line, like how do you envisage, you know, on a really good day, me and you being? Yeah, I mean, I think um, a couple of bullets. First of all, I think we should videotape ourselves, right? We never think of, well, like as coaches, if we, we should also assess who we are and who we want to be on the sidelines. But 
I think when we talk, everything we should, we, every phrase we say should have been defined in advance and used in training so that it is a cue for something that players already know how to do. And it should be delivered at a time when they're acting, when their working memory is not active on play. Right? So it's either like downtime balls out of play or they're away from the ball and they can, they can hope to process a small tactical adjustment, stay connected, but only if like they really, I'm sure that they know what stay connected means and we've done it in training. So we're really disciplined about our language. Um, we do our best to like, um, yeah, we're disciplined about our language to focus on cues for things that we've taught to remind players of at the right moment when it doesn't distract from working memory. And then we, one of us is always thinking about taking the opportunity to guide the experience of the players out of the game to help them understand and learn more about what's happening. And we are, we hold ourselves accountable via this videotape to make sure that we respond rather than react, right? We're, we're managing our own emotions <laughs> during the game and, and so that we feel like when we watch it again, like the comments that we made are about players and about player learning as opposed to like our processing our own emotions of like, how am I doing as a coach here? And, and I'm going to give you one whiteboard. How, how are you, how are you going to use it with the players on the, either on the sideline or in a yeah. second line? Give me a couple of things you're thinking about. Yeah. One thing, so um, if it's one whiteboard shared, I think I'd want to give the players a shared thing to focus on, to track. So it might be, um, you can probably give me a better rugby example, but I want to like, I want you to look at um, how many times when we receive the ball under pressure, does our first touch break the pressure effectively? And how many times when we receive the ball not in pressure, does our first touch, is it positive and decisive to take advantage? So I want you to divide the whiteboard in half and say like, touch under pressure, no pressure. And I want you to just like score them, yes or no. And, on the, and maybe like jot some notes about like observations that you noticed about so one of the players notices, oh, that first touch worked because instead of trying to throw a move after he received the ball, the number eight unweighted the defender before he received the ball with a faint, with a faint before he received the ball. And that created enough space for him to, um, to receive the ball and play. And so like that's, but I think I want to give them a really focused, just one thing to watch for and watch intentionally for it for like a sustained period of 10 minutes as a group. And hopefully then they're having a conversation, a really deep conversation about like, first touch and how to use it and then you know under pressure in a match uh, mate, hopefully written, arguing about it i've written loads of other stuff now and, and a shout out to rob mason so uh rob's been on the pod before but he's done a lot of stuff around analyzing uh coach language and i guess and, and some of their behavior um on the sideline and again like uncovered lots of uh, raised lots of people's awareness let's put it that way and then the other thing i was thinking about then is like one of the questions I'm playing around with a lot of the, I'm really enjoying is like, what helped you? So actually when you made that decision under pressure, like what, what that first touch, what helped you? Just trying to kind of unpick the stuff under the iceberg and pressure was another thing that was on my list. So clearly like 
I, I guess sometimes we'll we'll train and, and it might not feel like we're learning. And and yeah. sometimes that's because of pressure and and I think there's also this tradition that exists in in lots of sports around like what training looks like. So we've got two sessions a week. Like I'm my sense is I wouldn't want to rub out too much of the game. So I'm not gonna like take it entirely out of context. Clearly that there might be some individuals where actually we need to support them with some stuff. But like <clears throat> how would you how would you frame that stuff around pressure and struggle and you know and, and learning being, yeah. you know not this A to B to C process. It's a great question. Um, can I just say one more thing about the watching thing that we were talking? Because while you were talking, you you caused me to think about something else, which is about positivity versus studying success versus studying failure. So if my players are on the sideline watching players, the easiest thing to do is to critique when a player makes a bad first touch. Much more valuable is actually to to study success. Right. Because in most of the cases, when someone does something wrong, we know what they did wrong and why it was wrong. It's just like they've done something that we all understand you should not do. Much more valuable is to watch really carefully for great execution and try to learn from it. So but people are inclined to like think of watching as something that they do to criticize. But actually, what I want you to do is like deep praise, <laughs> which is I want you to study um, our best moments and to try and talk about why they work so well so that you can replicate and you can do more of them. Like if someone makes a dumb mistake, that's not as valuable to you as someone did something really brilliant. I was really, in some ways, I, I was using an example of a player fainting before they received the ball. Cause I had this experience of, um, I did a workshop for some U S soccer federation coaches several years ago at the same time that there was this international youth tournament. And so the U S was playing Brazil. This is the generation of players with like Christian Pulisic, who's, you know, probably the, best American player was on this team. And so I was watching with my kids. And the, the thing that I noticed was that the game was so fast that all of the, all of the mo moves that the players were doing were before they received the ball, right? Their effort, their, their move was like to try and unweight the defender before they received the ball. So they had just enough time to play it as opposed to like all the kids who my kids played with, like get the ball and then try and put a move on someone. And so that's like, in some ways, that's the process of watching very carefully and being forensic about very high level play. And I just think that that's what I want my players doing on the bench, which is looking for the best examples and not the low hanging fruit of like that kid got something wrong. Sorry for that. <laughs> no, that's cool. And, and, and then helping to understand like, yeah, what helped you? Like, yeah. what's the stuff that sits behind our best moments? Yeah. Um, what do we need to, yeah. What do we need to be training? <laughs> Even like, what do we need to be thinking about in training to make these happen? In the, yeah. So then, but then you were asking about just generally the structure of training. Yeah. Um, I think I was thinking about practice design. There'd be a lot of tradition yeah. in, you know, we, we build stuff up. We, we decontextualize a lot of stuff. My sense and speak to lots of players again, is that often sessions are team rather than individual. Mm -hmm. You know, some of your best examples around teaching is like, the classrooms, like it's the teachers are just individualizing everything, like which I get is hard. So, <clears throat> I guess, how, how do you see us like designing our practices? Yeah, I think the um, one of the things we want someone said, like, we, we want players to. 
practice so that what they're learning transfers in the game. So they don't get better at practice, they get better at the game. And I think it's very, it's easy to have those, those things happen. So practice should probably be progressive, right? It should get increasingly challenging. And the ultimate level we want to look for is more challenging than, than the game. We want to put kids under significant pressure. But people are motivated by and they're happy when they feel successful at things. So I kind of have to like scale them into it. And I think that one of the most important things is being an, envir an environment that replicates the visual cues of the game is, is really, really important. I but I think that sometimes people oversimplify what that means. So if it's okay, I'll, I'll put it in a, in a football setting and then we can translate it to a rugby setting. So I, I think as, I don't think every single thing has to be game realistic. I think sometimes when you're learning a new, when you're learning to acquire a new skill, like until I've mastered the skill, my working memory can't really focus on what I'm perceiving. Though if I want it to transfer in a game, I have to practice it in a, in a, um, in a game-like setting where I'm reading the visual cues. But I want most of my practice to happen in a situation where I am learning to connect what I know to what I see. So I know when, when and how to do it. And so the result of that is like a lot of, in like in soccer, people will say, everything has to be um, really true to the game, but, but, you know, and so it has to be 11 v 11, or it has to be, you have to be going towards goal and there can't be extra players. So you can't have seven versus six or something like that. And, and, I, and I think that those are, I don't agree with that because I think there are a lot of different visual fields and visual frames that you look at when you're playing. And so part of playing soccer is playing 11 v 11 and looking to look far away from the ball and for movements off the ball. But part of it is also the things that you learn playing in a rondo and watching very closely intense focus, the body movement of a player to determine what direction he's going to go with his first touch. And so there are, there's not one visual reality. There are visual realities. I would imagine in rugby that you're constantly toggling back and forth between looking very closely at interactions in the scrum and also than having to be able to look far away tactically to see like what the backs are doing. And so I, I think it's just the menu of visual experiences that players need to be prepared to play is, is broader. It's, it's not just rec replicating the game. It's strategically replicating and casting intense focus on different parts of the visual experience of the game, if that makes any sense. It makes sense to me. What I think you've said is like, and I agree, like we have, when we coach these sessions, we'll have a menu of options available for us as coaches. Some of them will, will clearly be like the game, but some of them might not be. Some of them might be a smaller version of it. Some of them might yeah. be overloaded. Some of them might be underloaded because actually we want to have some repetition of some, some stuff. And, and, yeah. and some of that stuff will definitely be, well, it'll all be based upon what you see. But again, like if we want to encourage if we want to develop passing and we might actually have a period of time where we're overloaded and it's slightly smaller numbers and they get the opportunity to practice like when and why to pass more often. Yeah. Clearly that might be a, a subsection of the bigger game and, or, or it might not be. We might actually do that in a 360 game, which, you know, you can't pass forwards in rugby, but we might be doing that because we want to develop even more like scanning and, we also might want to have some movement yeah. solutions that we think are helpful as well. Yeah, I love I love that. I think it's like strategic distortion of the visual environment, right? I want to be constantly aware that I'm trying to replicate game environments, but it's not as simple as just saying it 
always has to look like the game that I'm actually trying to, I'm trying to do better than the game in terms of how I build my player's perception of what's happening around. I guess we've got to like, just agree what we're willing to sacrifice. So we might, yeah. go, we're going to play a, in foot in rugby, we might play a smaller sided rondo type experience, but then we're missing out on the 40 yard kick. Yeah. Um, we're cool because actually that's not necessarily, and we might actually have something that, that gives us that cue, but, but actually they don't do it. They're just kind of, check for it while they're playing the game as well. Yeah, there's probably an 80-20 rule there, which is like 20% of the things that players do derive 80% of the value and we want to spend a lot of time there. The hard part is like, what's the other, you know, what's the um, what's the 80% that only drives 20% of the value that we spend our time on? Yeah, we'll work. We're probably better at identifying those things than, than I am. Yeah, but. we'll work that out quickly. And then the other thing I was thinking about, like, I guess but it's... Go on, go on. No, you, you go. Yeah. Slightly different to the classroom. And, and again, so like, well, this bit isn't, but to what extent would you think we would use the players and upskill them as coaches? Where does peer-to-peer fit in? And clearly, yeah. I'm going to pay, play alongside you, Doug. Like, we need to see same pictures. Or I need yeah. to know yeah. what Doug's seeing, and Doug needs to know what Rusty's likely to see. And also, like, what are our strengths? What are our... So, again, how are we, how are we developing... So, you know, some of those combinations, but also where do, where do the players fit in in terms of like them being part of the coaching team? Can I throw an idea by you for like, it's Wednesday and we're training on Thursday. I'm going to throw an idea at you and you, uh, at you, and you can critique it. So um, I, want, I want us to learn to recognize what the opposition is doing to us a little bit more and perceive like so that we can adapt our tactics to what they're doing. So we're going to divide the team in half and I'm going to take red and you're going to take blue. And I'm going to tell red something that I want them to try and do against blue. And it's going to be maybe like three or four times you're going to like play the ball short to the left to try and draw blue in. And then I want you to go suddenly like to the right big passes to try and get around the defense. And we're going to do this for a while. And then blue is going to have to guess what red is trying to do to them so that they learn to read the game and they will, but it has to be like, you know, they'll start to guess their understanding will be progressive. So maybe we'll play for, for, for five minutes and then we'll pause and I'll bring red together and I'll say like, I'll try and work on them to execute this thing that they're trying to do, but you will have the blues and the blues will be trying to say, I think this is what they're trying to do to us. Here's how I know. Here's how I hear. Here's how we should, we can't even get to, here's how we should, we should react to it until we're like, here's what we think is happening. And I would assume that they wouldn't at first, they'd be like, there's something about like, they're trying to pass along on us. Like good, but there's more to it than that. Like, um, do you think something like that would work? Yeah. I mean, that would be pretty normal in my world to share some information and, I guess then scaffold them with their ability to to do what you said. Like it might be that some people further away from the ball have got more time and better opportunity to see some stuff. And then how do they then share that information? And then perhaps we give them a timeout, timeout, timeout. Yeah. Doug doesn't call it. Actually, let me come right. They're doing this. They're moving it left. They're doing right. Yeah. If we prevent them moving this, now actually we shoot up here, then we'll stop it. So yeah, I think, I mean, my view of the world is that I'm going to, and, and bear with me, like players should call huddles more than coaches. If we're going to have a huddle, and clearly my view of the world is that we should we should freeze more than we should huddle. So I guess 
yeah. you know, me and you as coaches in this environment would um, need to have like real al alignment on like, who are we giving information to? Yeah. Like, how are we supporting? Like, if they're not getting it, getting it, I can't believe how are we, yeah. we yeah. going to support them? Like, what's the, what's the rules of engagement? Because sometimes the coach will step in and go, I can't believe you haven't seen it. They're doing yeah. so. Yeah, I mean, I think this is going to be a slow and, and sometimes frustrating process. But I think what's interesting here is like, you know, I assume that rugby is the same as, as soccer football and that coaches are constantly yelling to players, talk, you guys talk amongst yourself. I need to hear community, but like talk about what and how, how much do we how much do we practice the kind of talking which we want, which is understanding what's happening to us and why we're struggling. Yeah. So I think we have to just build this. And there might be a point where we say, OK, bring it in, boys. Uh, red, you know, like maybe ask the players, red, reveal what you were trying to do. Yeah. Did you feel like it's, do you feel, do you feel like they figured it out? No, I don't feel like they figured it out. Yeah. Why do you, why do you think they didn't figure it out? Blue. Why do you think you didn't figure it out? Like, I think it's at some point we just acknowledge that we didn't, we didn't figure it out. And then we have a conversation about why it didn't. And we're like, great. Tomorrow we'll, tomorrow we'll try again with a slightly different tactic. But like, yeah, the what we're doing is making a long-term investment in your ability to read the game. I guess the challenge is that, that working it out in five minutes might be really hard for them to start with. And, and I guess, and look at my last question, and, and thanks for taking part in this imaginary scene. Oh, this has been so much fun, by the way. Are we, are we really going to do this? I'm, I'm available. <laughs> I'm coming. I'm coming over once COVID's gone. I'm going to come to you. Are you kidding? I, I've been, I haven't been in a pub and had a good English pub in a year and a half. I'm coming to you. Anyway. So this, this kind of conversation now, like, how do you think we would reflect and, hmm. like, planners, coaches, like – like around everything. So if you were to go, look, here's two or three things, Rusty, that that we need to hold and, and stick to because actually we had a conversation earlier about like one of the things I find is that coaches will, you know, might bounce from one thing to another and they might have some ideas around stuff they're going to do, but actually when the pressure comes on, me and you forget about this. We actually don't think reflection is that important because we've got to win and we need to go and tell the players what to do. So what two or three things do you think these will be really important for from yeah. Rusty and Doug to get better. So in our office, um, we have we have we have a it's a beautiful training facility. By the way, it's you know glass fronted. Uh, um, anyway, in our office, we have a whiteboard that reminds us of the most important things that we're working on, and it's the duration in which we work on those things is more than a week. And so every time we walk out on the training field, we remind ourselves like these are the most important things to work on, so that we stay focused, disciplined coach, disciplined players. And we recognize that long-term, that our goal is long-term, long-term memory, long-term, a deep understanding of the concepts. So we don't have to come back to them and reteach them. And that's not going to happen in a week, even, even if we start doing it, because we want to, it's going to take multiple weeks and lots of retrieval practice. And we'll have to come back to it and review it over and over again. Uh, and that our, you know, our time horizon for installing an idea is probably something like six weeks, as opposed to like, a week because if we think we see change in that short period of time it's mostly gonna evaporate so i think just like reminding ourselves keeping focus keeping a list of focus um so that we are disciplined about getting deep mastery of of core things as opposed to you know constantly distracting ourselves with what we see in the minute um doug lemov it's been a pleasure i know you've got to go um i'll see you for pre-season um, Sounds brilliant. <laughs> yeah, coffee in the training facility. 
uh, stay safe and um, mate, we'll, we'll catch up soon. Yeah, brilliant. I'm looking forward to it. This was a ton of fun. Thanks.